This is Points North, a show from Interlochen Public Radio, where we hear about life in northern Michigan through the news, the people, and the places. I'm Dan Wanshura. And I'm Morgan Springer. Coming up on today's show, how a northern Michigan county tackled school safety by putting cops in schools. I prefer having someone like Jeff here who's trained to like saying, oh, let's give guns to teachers. You know, that doesn't seem like a very good idea. And at the end of the show, we head out to Lake Leelanau to watch ice boaters. But first, a bill introduced in the state Senate earlier this year would reverse the ban on deer baiting in Michigan. The ban went into effect across the Lower Peninsula at the end of January. It's supposed to stop the spread of chronic wasting disease in the state's deer herd. Senator Kurt Vanderwall sponsored the reversal bill. He says he hasn't seen evidence that baiting spreads CWD. Vanderwall also says the baiting ban will decrease the number of hunters in the state, and that could actually increase CWD in the state's herd. If you have too many deer, the spread of the disease is more widespread, and that's my concern. Chad Stewart disagrees. He's the deer management specialist for the Michigan DNR. Stewart says they've looked at dozens of studies examining the connection between deer baiting and the spread of CWD. We do believe that baiting and feeding and concentrating animals in in that sort of method um, is conducive to the spread of the disease, absolutely. Now, hunters in the UP can still bait deer. That's because when the ban was developed, the DNR didn't know about CWD in the UP. Stewart says they've tested over 30,000 deer, mostly from 16 counties downstate. He says that data was enough to justify an entire Lower Peninsula baiting ban. It's kind of like eating an elephant. You need to go a little bit at a time and understand where the disease exists and then slowly build up your your knowledge base elsewhere um, because to do it all at once is, is just too big of a bite. Senator Vanderwall argues more research needs to be done to justify that ban. The reversal bill has been referred to the Committee on Natural Resources. This week we asked people if their kids are safe in school and if anything should be done to improve safety. And you responded. One listener wrote on Facebook, she does not feel like security is that good at her kid's elementary school. She wrote about how the school has lockdown drills, but there are a lot of reasons doors are left open, and that makes her uneasy. Lorraine Kingma also chimed in online. She says all schools should have police dogs. A dog is fast and courageous, she wrote. One for every school. We brought this up because this has been a hot-button issue across the country. Last year, 17 students were shot and killed at a high school in Parkland, Florida. After that, Benzie County sprung into action and pushed to increase safety. So they put cops in their schools, and taxpayers agreed to pay for it. But it ended up being more complicated than that. Morgan, you have the story. Benzie County Sheriff's Deputy Jeff Miller became a school cop in January. He serves 1,400 students across the Benzie Central Schools District, and his role is to deal with any criminal activity. Right now, things are quiet at the high school, and he's sitting in his office tallying up the types of issues he's dealt with so far. Bullying, um, kids skipping classes, things like that. Your typical kids bringing cigarettes and and stuff like that into the schools. But right now, it looks like Vaping for the win. Vaping is is the majority um, of the problems. Miller says the very fact that he's in the schools is community policing at its best. Not all kids have a positive outlook, I guess, on law enforcement, especially in today's world. Um, It's awesome to be able to bridge that gap. And to be a positive role model, he says. A lot of kids will come in 
just to my office just to talk, get things off their chests, share their frustrations, knowing that I'm just kind of a third party to listen. So this is our junior high wing. Students fill the halls as they switch classes, and Miller heads out of his office to monitor. He talks to kids as they go by. What's up, buddy? Living the dream, they tell me. When I was in school, you didn't think about the Sandy Hooks. You didn't think about, the, you know, Columbine happened, but you didn't go to school with that thought. Times have changed so much that that's what you think about now. The good news is Benzie Central has a school cop, and teachers say they feel safer. The bad news is the thing that put Miller there left some people feeling cheated. Here's what happened. Taxpayers passed a millage in November that paid for two school cops. One was Miller, and the second was for the other school district in the county. That's Frankfurt, Alberta area schools. Some residents assumed those cops would work for the sheriff and serve the whole county when school was out. In the summertime, we could have utilized that extra body, and we would have done great things with it. But um, I guess it didn't work out that way. That's County Under Sheriff Kyle Rosa. What ended up happening is the other cop went to the city of Frankfurt, and the county's going to pay for it. That means taxpayer money collected from all of Benzie County will just pay for a city cop. Rosa rationalizes this by saying taxes aren't always distributed equally. A lot of times, yes, that is true. I mean, that is the ugly reality. Either way, this move frustrated a number of people I talked to, none of whom wanted to speak on the record about it because they said it could jeopardize their jobs. They didn't understand why the county board made this decision. I don't see an issue with it, no. That's Evan Warsecki, a Benzie County commissioner. I'd rather focus on, you know, not the color of the jerseys of the kids in the school or the color of the uniforms of the officer. I'd rather focus on the fact that we have officers in the schools keeping all of our kids safe. But there's still no officer in Frankfurt making that happen, and there probably won't be before the school year is up. The chief of police says they're still reviewing applications. This is Points North. I'm Dan Wanshura. You may have seen ice boats cruising along frozen West Grand Traverse Bay or Lake Leelanau on a clear, windy day. Even though spring is here, the ice is still 12 inches thick on some inland lakes, and Jakob Wheeler went to watch them sail. Their sails are propelled by wind like normal boats, but these crafts face no friction from waves or currents. They can move at three or four times the speed of wind. As we say, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. That's David Hill, a Leelanau County native who credits ice boating with helping him survive the winter in northern Michigan. Hill is one of several dozen ice boaters in the Grand Traverse region. He says his father, Gary, introduced him to ice boating when he was a teenager. So I thank my dad for that and uh, sometimes curse him for that because it kind of <laughs> can, can consume my life. Now Hill's young kids are excited about ice boating as well. You know, they say be careful, Daddy, but they also, it's usually followed by can we come too. Hill says the sailing mechanics are similar to a softwater sailboat. Each boat sits on three blades, like ice skates, and weighs somewhere between 60 and 110 pounds. It's late March. Spring has arrived with bird song and warming temperatures. Today, the ice boaters have pulled off M22 at a spot on northern Lake Leelanau. The forecast called for wind speeds of 15 knots, but it hasn't arrived yet. Hill knows that this week could be his last of the year for ice boating. I have a helmet. I think next year I'm getting a helmet, a full face helmet. 
They know that if they wait too long, the spring sun will melt surface ice and slow down their boats. A bluebird day like today, it's a race between the wind and the sun. Yeah. The, the sun will start deteriorating the surface fairly rapidly, even though there's plenty of good ice underneath. Um, once the first half inch to inch of ice deteriorates, becomes like a snow cone ice, yeah. we call it. Um, it makes it real difficult. It's putting the brakes on your boat. Just then, the wind picks up and he seizes the opportunity. I might head out over that way. That's kind of where the wind might be funneling, right through Brady's Point down there. He stands in the boat with one foot and pushes off with the other. The runners make a low, rumbling sound as they move along the ice. The boat's lines begin to flap. The sail catches and fills with wind. He's off, headed onto Lake Leelanau. Hill is in the lake today with four other ice boaters. Because the sport can be dangerous, he says you never boat alone. Hill wears a helmet, padded clothing, safety ropes, and a lanyard around his neck with spikes. He could use those as hooks to pull himself back onto the ice if he ever went into the water. That hasn't happened yet, but one of his buddies hit open water and had to call 911 for help. And you're, you're really at the mercy of it out there. Hill hopes to continue ice boating until early April. For Points North, I'm Jakob Wheeler. And that wraps up our show this week. I'm Morgan Springer. And I'm Dan Wanshura. Be sure to listen to Points North every Friday morning here on IPR. But if you do miss it, you can catch up on past episodes at our website, pointsnorthradio.org, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to rate the show. That'll help other people find us. Thanks. Thanks.